Disrupting Japan, Episode 26. Welcome to Disrupting Japan, straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. Today, I'd like to introduce you to my good friend Brandon Hill of B-Trax, and we're going to be talking about design with a capital D. So, what's the difference between design with a capital D and design with a lowercase d? Well, Brandon and I will get into that in just a few minutes. Now, I've been wanting to have Brandon on the show for a while now, but the two of us just never seem to be in the same city at the same time. You see, Brandon grew up in Hokkaido, and after high school, he moved to San Francisco to study music and later design. He started B-Tracks at the pit of the Depression after the dot-com bubble burst, and has spent most of his time and effort since then trying to bridge the gap between Japan, the country in which he was born, and America, the country in which he lives. Now, over the years, Brandon and B-Tracks have been a real force for good in getting Western and Japanese startups to know about each other and to work together. In fact, this year will be the 8th annual Japan Night, a great pitch event Brandon started in order to introduce some of the best Japanese startups to U.S. investors and the U.S. market. We also talk about some of the most important trends in Japanese startups today, and a few very interesting projects he has up his sleeve. But I'll let Brandon tell you all about that himself. So let's get right to the interview. So I'm sitting here with Brandon Hill, CEO of B-Trax, which is a San Francisco-based creative agency specializing in U.S., Japan, cross-border business. Is that pretty close to correct? pretty much correct. Um, sometimes we even have a hard time explaining ourselves, but basically uh, cross-border branding and marketing um, agency. Yeah. Now, I've got to say, I've never had a CEO of a services company on the show yet. Interesting. But, well, no, B-Trax, you, you guys are doing something really different. And we'll, we'll get to that because I think yeah. you're doing some very yeah. interesting and important work. Yeah. Well, tell me, let, let's talk a bit about the differences between mm. design in Japan and design in the U.S. What's your take? What's the most important differences and most important similarities? I would say that there's a simple answer. And there is a little bit more complicated answer. Let me tell you the simple answer first. Okay. The design in the U.S. or outside of Japan is a little bit more universal. In a way, it's simple, easy to understand, mm-hmm. straightforward. Design in Japan, in terms of marketing, it's a little bit more complicated. More number of colors. Okay. More uh, bells and whistles. So um, if you go to a bookstore... The cover of magazine looks very different in the U.S. and Japan. Yeah. If you go get on a train, the old ads look really colorful. Yep. That is the first thing that, that strikes you. Yep. Western design, it's very, I don't want to say minimal, but very simple. A lot of white space. Yeah. A lot of Japan is very busy, very crowded, mm-hmm. very information dense. Yeah. Why is that? My personal theory is related to manga and anime culture. Okay. We uh, Japanese people grew up with manga. So they're kind of like a manga native, mm-hmm. anime native. So they're used to reading really busy literature. Okay. And every single page on the manga book looks super busy. And you need to follow 
each box to、uh, understand the story. To me, it's not easy to read manga, but Japanese people, it's a second nature. That's an interest. I've never heard that. Yeah. And actually, when you think about it, if you look at the advertising that is pre war,、yeah. it was much simpler and、exactly. much closer to Western sensibilities.、Yeah. That's totally true. Busy information dense is a very relatively new phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah. All right.、Uh, the second answer from me would be that the concept of design itself is very different in the US and Japan. Japan, if you say design, most people think it's drawing something、mm-hmm. or layout, maybe advertisements. So, designers in Japan, they're very good at designing posters. Right. Most of those design elements are towards advertisements. Okay. In the US, especially in Silicon Valley, San Francisco area, when you say design, there are various kinds of design UI design, UX design, interactive, brand experience, 3D graphics, and web, obviously. But, but don't all those divisions exist in Japan as well? I mean, there are people designing 3D graphics, there's people who do UI. Yes and no, because Japanese businesses heavily depend on agencies, so large、ah. agencies such as Dentsu Hakuhodo. So they outsource the design elements to ad agencies. Whereas in the US, they try to have all those design departments or people in house. There aren't too many real designers in Japan when it comes to UI and the UX. So, that Japan lacks a depth of specialization and、exactly. focus on UX. Exactly. Interesting. And sometimes Japanese people do not call those people as designers. Even though there are people who do UX, probably they call them, them something else. Like They're more like a programmer? System engineers. All right.、Um, IA, informational architectures. It's really rare to find UX designers in Japan. So, UX designers aren't really respected here?、Um, people don't understand I, the value? Or? I wouldn't say they're not respected. They're not quite recognized. Okay.、Um, I was talking to our, one of our clients, one of the largest agencies in Japan. He had told me that the rates to hire UX designer in Japan is one fourth or one fifth of San Francisco. <laughs> Well, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. It, well, one fourth and one fifth is pretty extreme, isn't it, it? It is extreme because salary of designer is one of the lowest <laughs> in this country, which、uh, is kind of unfortunate. I, I think this, it, it is interesting in that. So I've been in Japan for 23, 24 years now. Okay. And programmers, the、mm-hmm. salaries used to be horrifically low. They're still, I mean, lower than they are in San Francisco or New York, but programming is becoming more respectable. Larger companies are understanding the importance of it, and salaries and respectability have gone up. Yeah. Maybe with UX design, that's something that will happen in the future, hopefully for the designers. I would think so.、Uh, yeah. I really think that will be the case. The more and more people spend their time on digital devices, the value of the UX designers will go up. But it, it does make sense. Design is a, rel- is a small component of、mm-hmm. the UX design. There's a lot of psychology and a lot、exactly. of tracking. It's, it's, a, it's a real skill. Yeah. The definition of design is really challenging. Design with capital D includes a whole lot of things, even include people who call themselves as growth hackers,、okay. data scientists, 
even like business people. That actually is our approach, like applying design thinking methods to your business. So you're, you're viewing design as almost the entire go-to-market strategy, as a unified whole. Okay. We consider design to be applied to every element of a business. Okay. Anything from coming up with service product model to creating this organization structure, um, management, product development, okay. which is quite common in uh, San Francisco startups using design thinking methods to define users, define products, define go-to-market strategies. Hmm. But it's still relatively unknown in Japan. Very new or unknown. But there are a handful of people who realize the importance of design toward business. So we do get a lot of inquiries from businesses in Japan requesting us to consult them. We were talking about design encompassing not just the go-to-market, but all the business processes. Yeah, yeah. I find that a really intriguing idea. Yeah, it so is. So how would that apply to, say, something like accounting, accounting. Or, or back office processes? It's, it's funny you ask me because a couple of weeks ago I attended one of the uh, workshops in San Francisco related to design. The, uh, the guest speaker for that was head of UX department of Intuit. Okay. You know Intuit. Sure. Intuit is a company of QuickBooks. Kind the largest of accounting yeah. software company exactly. in the world right now. And they're very well known for applying UX and design thinking ideas towards management. They created this innovation team. And every single employee of Intuit is required to take a couple workshops related to UX and design thinking to huh. innovate their business model. Relying too much on single product is very risky. And they had to come up with new product ideas. I see where you're going with this. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. My companies in the past, I've always said... Everybody is in sales. Everybody is in support, without exception. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I had never really thought about it in terms that you're saying now, like everybody is in design. Our that's B- kind of the missing piece, right? Exactly. You so know, that's the product. The philosophy of B Trucks is everybody is designer in this company. All right. No matter what you do. So applying design thinking concept, you want to improve the process. You want to improve the experience. Mm-hmm. So even if you're an HR person, there's definitely a way to improve the experience that you give towards applicants, for example. Giving better interview process, giving better interview experience. Okay, so instead of looking at a corporate process as a sterile flowchart, mm-hmm. you're looking at it as a UX challenge. Exactly, exactly. Excellent. That's, Could, that's a really good way of looking yeah, at it. My definition of designer is somebody who solves a problem within the best possible process. I can see why Japanese companies are, are slow to adopt this. <laughs> it's it's a know, great idea, but yeah, this, this will take some time. Yeah, exactly. Okay, get, getting back to design and marketing between mm-hmm. the U.S. and Japan. Because mm-hmm. you, you've worked bringing companies in both directions. Yeah, I would say, first of all, Japan and the U.S. are very different in a way that you apply design for go-to-market marketing. In Japan, obviously, because of this manga culture, you got to have a culture. Behind every product's success, there's some sort of culture. In the U.S., if you do it, it's so childish. Do you find that's true on B2C and B2B, or particularly B2C? I I would say it's both. Really? Because I've seen some B2B companies using some cultures. 
Yeah, and, and come to think of it, all of the prefectures and a lot of cities in Japan have their own little character Every mascots. Every single prefecture has it. So is this just the famous Japanese cuteness? It's easy to say, okay, Japanese like cute things, but there has to be more depth to it than that. I think it's it's really funny contrast. Cuteness is on the other side of spectrum from seriousness. Yeah. But if you think about Japanese businesses or Jam- Japanese businessmen, they're super serious. It's kind of funny that all those serious Japanese business people think about, okay, what kind of cute character we should make? <laughs> people are usually very sincere and serious, but in order to be closer to brands or people or businesses, you need to have some boost. I would say that boost is a character. So it's friendly and non-threatening. And yeah. Well, that's, yeah. that's interesting because in the US, we have almost the opposite problem where yeah. business is very informal and friendly. Mm, very casual. But certainly on the B2B side, yeah. Marketing tends to be very formal, yeah, yeah. very, very serious. Yeah. Hmm. So in, in the U.S., we use a lot of photos on the website or brochure. In Japan, we use a lot of characters. And also, these characters are a symbol of anonymous culture in Japan. Company do not uh, show much of real people working within the company. Even CEOs do not be on the front of marketing. In the U.S., Twitter. You want to show real people. Jack yeah. Dorsey, Elon Musk, Steve Jobs. How many people can you think of being front of marketing activities at Japanese companies? Maybe Son-san, Mikitani-san. Those are the two I was going to think of, but I can't remember. Oriemo, maybe. Yeah. That's all right. It's, it's rare. A lot of Japanese CEOs kind of hesitate to be in front of audience. Mm-hmm. Instead, they create some cute characters to represent their companies. It's kind of interesting contrast, isn't it? It is. So the characters, it's, it's, an, it's an avatar. It's, it's... We, we have our own character called Cooper. It's a dog. It's, actually, it's, Cooper. It's, it's my real dog okay. that, um, that I bring to my office every once in a while. And sometimes we use their, uh, his face on the right. T-shirt. We create a B-Track T-shirt saying 98% human, 2% dog equals to B-Tracks. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a breakdown of our team. <laughs> I gotcha, okay. <laughs> so I, the aim is to communicate some Asian-ness. So when you're seeing companies that are um, coming into Japan from America yeah. or going into America from Japan, yeah. what's the most common mistake you see them making? When, for example, a U.S. company tries to come to the Japanese market, the challenge is adapting to the customers in Japan mm-hmm. by adjusting products and services. I haven't seen too many companies who are willing to adjust their business model or product to better serve Japanese audience, well, consumers. I, I agree with you completely on that, but can you give us a concrete example of that? Okay, I need to be careful about on this. Um, I cannot talk about I, I don't want to get you in any, trouble with any, your customers. Any of, <laughs> I know our clients, but... There is a company called Uber. I've heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, super successful in the U.S. Obviously, they tried to come to Japan, and they did. Yeah. However, um, there is a challenge of competing with taxi. Taxi in Japan is excellent in services. Yeah. You can find taxis anywhere in Tokyo in 30 seconds, maybe. Yeah. And they're clean. Clean. They're reasonably nice. priced. Yeah. It's, yeah. So competing with Japanese taxi industry is not easy. However, as far as I know, Uber doesn't change their strategy much. 
Yeah, I think you're, that's, that's a really good example. Yeah. They, they pretty much are just running the, um, the corporate playbook in Japan yeah. and seeing if it works. Yeah, so I think this is the, uh, one of the weakness of Americans. We think Americans are number one, and Japan is a tiny country that uh, we can serve easily. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, it's all the arrogant mentality of um, it, American people. It is. People. We we Americans are pretty bad at that. Um, <laughs> yeah, an awful lot of times I've worked with companies coming in who who seem to feel that once the Japanese see the American way of doing things, of course they'll adopt it because it's better. Yeah. Um, on the other side, when we talk to Japanese clients, almost always they say, "What should we change to go global?" Sometimes we say. No, 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 your products are excellent. All you have to do is doing a better job on the marketing side. Huh. And maybe localizing some UI and changing some bits and pieces of the product. Um, Japan has excellent products, but they're not very confident about serving outside of Japan. Right. So we, they come to us saying, like, okay, we'd like to do something from scratch. We, like to, we need to develop something from the ground up. So whereas the Americans don't want to change anything, the yeah. Japanese want yeah. to like just rewrite everything? Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Boy, just extreme differences. It is extreme, it is. Moving from design, I really want to talk about some of the other things that you and B-Trax are doing to promote the startup ecosystem yeah. here in Japan. Yeah. And I know you're running uh, an internship program, you've got a couple of other, well why don't, why don't you tell us about it, because you can do it better than I can. Although my passion is design, since I've lived in San Francisco for such a long time, uh, startup culture is natural thing for me. Every single night, there's a startup event. A startup is nothing special in San Francisco. If you walk down the street, three out of five people are either entrepreneurs or working for startup. So um, I was a big fan of startup events for a long time, and there's one day French startups presenting their products at an event called SF New Tech. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. I thought about how about presenting Japanese startups there. At that time, this was back in 2010, within a few months, I got a chance to come to Japan. Interestingly, I was selected to be uh, one of the judges at a Japanese startup event, okay. simply because I live in San Francisco. <laughs> yes. we, we had very low bars back in 2010. They're a little more selective these days. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And the event was like, about like, audience size was like 50 people. Yeah. And the organizer had told me like, this is all the Japanese startup people here in this room. I was like, are you serious? And he says, like, yeah, of course. There are only like a handful of entrepreneurs in Japan, maybe 10 or so. And we have five companies from those 10 companies. Right. <laughs> and they're good. They're excellent. What they produce is sometimes better than startups in San Francisco. Yeah. But the unfortunate fact is that all of those products are in Japanese. How come you don't do things in English so that you can cover the global market? And they're like oh, we don't know how. And I was like, okay. I can help you with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, just make your products in English, come to San Francisco, present in front of a U.S. audience. That's all you need to do. They're like, okay, but how? Don't worry about it. We'll hold an event called Japan Night where Japanese startups compete in San Francisco. So how, how long 
was it from the time where you met these first startups to the time you had the first Japan night? Three months. Three months. That's moving fast. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a startup. And you, you so you've been、fast. running it. This year will be Japan eight. night eight. number eight. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's it's bigger now. It is <laughs> ten times bigger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Last five years, I've seen lots and lots of. Startups in Japan being really successful, both in Japan as well as overseas.、Uh, there are some startups in San Francisco from Japan, right? So I think it's incredible, incredible change I've seen. There has been this trend recently. I mean, now there are so many more startups in Japan than there、mm. were just eight years ago. Yeah, yeah. And quality's gone up as well. Yeah. There's been a real trend recently for Japanese companies to move to San Francisco. Exactly. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's bad. What What are your thoughts on it? When is it good for a company to move to San Francisco, and when is it best for them to stay in Japan? I think it's it's it could be timing, but it's more. I think it's more towards products they are making and the target market. So obviously, if you want to target global market, coming to San Francisco would be an excellent idea to do、mm. because you can talk to direct users right at cafe on the street or start up events. If your products and services are more towards Japanese audience, you may want to stay in Japan because it's a lot cheaper. I think there is a trend recently that a couple of my entrepreneur friends from Japan have engineering team in Japan while having business team in San Francisco. I thought that was perfect mix、hmm. because you can save a lot of money by hiring engineers in Japan. They're excellent, hardworking、right. people, while expanding their businesses in the U.S. The hub. Of startup, which is San Francisco, so by mixing those two, you can create a global team. So, what do you see Japan Night evolving into? What 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 good is it doing?、Uh, it's it's fun. That's、Ex、always good. exciting. I feel like I'm doing something back to the society. Yeah. However, it's interesting that you ask me that question. I have recently started thinking about maybe maybe we should not limit this to Japanese startups only. Oh? So I even consider about changing the name because calling it Japan Night is kind of limiting itself to Japanese startups. So are you you're thinking of bringing in startups from the rest of Asia or yeah, something、right. like that? Okay, would be good. After going to different countries, I started thinking about limiting to Japanese companies only might not make sense anymore. Okay, because <laughs> everything is global now. Actually, come to think of it, a lot of the companies pitching at Japan Night weren't Japanese companies. Actually, no. Either、um, the company is not originally founded in Japan,、yeah. or speakers are not Japanese. Right, right. Which so, are absolutely okay to me. No, it's great. It, but you're right. Things are going global. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the pitch events here in Japan, there are a lot of companies coming from、uh, Southeast Asia,、mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and more and more coming from from Europe. And occasionally the U.S. as well. I think that's great. I do too. Yeah. What about San Francisco? Is it at the pitch events there?、Yeah. Is it mostly local startups, or do you get that global mix of? Recently, I do see global mix more and more. Companies from China, companies from Singapore, companies from Europe. And speaking of that, right next to our office,、uh, there is an incubator called Block Seventy One. Block Seventy One is a huge incubator in Singapore, hosting three hundred startups. That's right. And they recently opened an incubator in San Francisco. And I talked to them, and they say their plan is to keep sending startups one after another to San Francisco. 
And I thought, <laughs> this is getting kind of crazy. A country spending money to set up a facility for its startups to go and go to the global market. It, and I would think Japan should do that. You also have an internship program, don't you? Yeah,、um, I don't know if we should call it program. It's not that big deal. We accept Japanese young people to work at our office in San Francisco to、uh, give them some global experience. Okay. And I started doing this again five years ago when we started doing Japan Night, simply because we need to have more people to help us organize Japan Night. It's primarily organized by interns. The people who come from Japan to San Francisco are extremely intelligent, extremely smart, very, very creative. I simply think there are so, so much great people in Japan coming to the US. So、mm-hmm. if we can work together, we can accomplish something very big deal. Yeah, I, I agree. So, how, how long is the internship? It's a couple of months? Typically,、mm-hmm. it's somewhere between two to three months. Okay. Yeah. And we'll be sure to put a link to this up on the website because、yeah. I'm sure a lot of the younger Japanese listeners would be delighted to go and intern in San Francisco.、Yeah. And- Speaking of that, I'd like to point this out. We get a lot of interns for marketing position.、Uh-huh. Recently, we get some interns for engineers, almost no interns for designer position. It's kind、oh. of shame. We're a design company. <laughs> and Japanese designers are great, but for some reason, Designers in Japan are not thinking too much about going outside of country. They should, because designers in San Francisco is t s kind of like stars. They, well, yeah, especially design, the, yeah. the way you were describing design、yeah. as, a, as a whole system. Yeah. yeah. It, it would seem that it'd be incredibly valuable for,、yeah. for Japanese designers to kind of go and understand it. Yeah. So I highly encourage any designers in Japan to apply to us. Okay. <laughs> So, all you, you designers out there,、yeah. go to the website, there's a link, go talk to Brandon. Exactly. And designers have a special, special spot in <laughs> B-Tracks to work. Excellent. And you're also stepping that up a bit, right? You're、mm-hmm. opening up a, a full blown co working space. Yeah, there, there are lots and lots of co working spaces in San Francisco, maybe 20, 30 of them, and there are a lot of startups. But almost none of them o f f e r s any mentoring or support、mm-hmm. in terms of design. They have VCs, they have startup entrepreneurs as mentors, but we always wanted to provide our design consulting services to startups and corporations and mixing startups and corporations together. And I thought about doing this cross border basis will be super exciting. So we'll be opening up a co working space called D House. D House. D House. Cool. In October 2015. The, the concept of D House is providing our design mentoring to corporations and startups. And we create this environment for startups and corporations to collaborate.、Huh. There will be corporations from Japan. There will be startups from Japan. There will be startups from local area. So this is sort of、um, an open innovation program、exactly. as applied to design. Exactly. Totally, that's perfect, 100%. The, the name D House came from Bauhaus,、uh, German、uh, school of design. Right.、Uh, back in the 19th century, there's a term called form follows function. Right. And we follow that concept and vision.、Okay. So, design should be there to support your business. 
That's fantastic. I don't know how I'm going to possibly edit this all down to 30 minutes. But before we wrap up, mm-hmm. I want to ask you, so you've been running Japan Night and deeply involved in the startups ecosystem, both here in Japan and in mm-hmm. San Francisco for the last eight years. So pulling out your crystal ball here, mm-hmm. where do you see Japan's startup ecosystem and Japan's view of holistic design and UX design in five years? I, I, can, I can confidently say one thing. Within five years, most Japanese startups have either entrepreneurs, founders, or employees known Japanese. I would say every single team will、that's, have known Japanese people with it. Yeah, that, that definitely is a trend right now. Yeah. That's accelerating. Yeah. yeah. Towards that, we'll have more known Japanese designers who can contribute to their businesses. Hmm. And you think that'll diffuse the、yeah. des- ideas? Exactly. There's only one way for a startup in Japan to survive, which is going global. Targeting only domestic market is not realistic and it's almost impossible to survive in this country because there are so many corporations, so they gotta go global. The best way to accomplish that is having known Japanese people in the team. So, do you think in five years we're gonna start seeing this emergence of kind of a holistic approach to design in Japan? I think it is our job to do that. All right. Well, I'll be looking forward to that. Definitely. Okay.、Yeah. Hey, Brandon, thanks so much for sitting down with me. Thank、great. you so much. It was good. And we're back. I found Brandon's approach to design really, well, eye opening. The idea that in a great company, Everyone should be involved in not only sales and support, but also product design as well, filled in some important gaps for me. If employees are engaged and deeply care about the product, of course, they'll be a great source for contributions to product design. And more important, perhaps, viewing process improvement as a design challenge rather than an optimization problem yields very different. And almost certainly vastly superior results. I've been a programmer my entire life, and suddenly I find myself wanting to study design. If you've got an opinion about Japanese design, either with a capital or a lowercase d, and I know a lot of you do, drop by disruptingjapan.com slash show 026 and let us know what you think. When you drop by the site, you'll see the links and sites that Brandon and I talked about, and much, much more, in the resources section of the post. And if you get a chance, please leave us an honest review on iTunes. It's really the best way you can support the show and help us get the word out. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thanks for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero. And thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.